scripture from today comes from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, 20 through 25. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God and Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep the words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. When your children ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the decrees and statutes and ordinances that the Lord your God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your children, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord displayed before our eyes great and awesome signs and wonders against Egypt, against Pharaoh, and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in to give us land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. Then the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our lasting good, so as to keep us alive as is now the case. If we diligently observe this entire commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, we will be in the right. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of us be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. The Shema, which is the chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, is such a powerful part of our faith. To love the Lord God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might. That it is something that Christ taught. When they were asking him, what is the most important commandment in the Bible, or what is the most important commandment, Christ said the Shema, love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and all of your might. And then he added, love the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. To keep in love with God, to not astray away from being in love with God, means that you will be right with God. It doesn't mean that you will be perfect. It means that you will be right with God. So what does it mean to give your heart to God? Like I told the kids, the heart was the center of the intellect because it was the center of your being. You follow your heart. If you throw your heart over, you follow your heart. Your heart is where your home is. Your home is where your heart is. The heart makes sense that is the center of your being. And where your heart is, is where your love is, where your devotion is. And our devotion needs to be God. It needs to be our family as well, and it needs to be our church as well. But all of that comes out of having a devotion to God. God's love makes everything else work. It makes the world work. When I first started out in ministry, I kept getting told that put God first in your life and everything else comes second. And that didn't work for me. 
I had kids to take care of, and I had a husband to take care of, and I had everything else in my life, and it was, it was hard to keep putting God first. So I kept feeling like I was wrong at all times. How, how did I do that when if Eric was sick or in the hospital, he came first, or if one of the kids had something going on, they came first. So I felt like I was always messing up with God. And then... Bishop Jung came. Bishop Jung sees faith through an Eastern type of paradigm. And he was talking to us, and he said, I don't put God first in my life like it's a line. I put God center in my life like it's a wheel. And God is the center of my wheel. And every part of my life is a spoke coming out of that wheel. And God is what makes that wheel strong. And as long as I keep God as the center of that wheel, then my life is solid and strong. And that made sense. Then I could give all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my might to God because I'm literally bringing it in from the spokes because I know all of the spokes are being supported by God and my heart felt good in that, that my wheel, my life was literally supported from God. God was in the center of everything that I did. My job came from God. My marriage came from God. My children came from God. My financial resources came from God. Everything came from God so that my wheel was supported by God. God is also supposed to be who we give all of our soul to. But it's not just the soul that we we think about. It's not just that part of life that we know, that we hear about in Jeremiah 1, when Jeremiah tells us, God tells him, I knew you before you were born. I knit you together in your mother's womb. God knew what we were going to be. God had plans for us then. But he wants more than just our soul. He wants our body, too. It's not good enough for us to pray, Oh, dear God, thank you for all the blessings, and I apologize for what I did last Saturday night. I will never do it again until this Saturday night. And just close your eyes, because it's going to be a really good time as I go out. Most of you know that I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. And I used to teach youth Sunday school. And I learned that if you have very strong coffee for youth Sunday school, the youth will come. And they will be a little shaky while they get that strong coffee, but they will come. And they will drink the coffee and pretend they're awake and lie about the hangover that they have. And then I was preaching, or teaching, whichever word you want to use, about a passage very similar to this. And I was telling them that just because you pray 
one way and then you do something a separate way doesn't mean God stops watching you. That wherever you are, wherever your body is, whether you don't want God to know it or not, God is there with you. God sees all, is there with you. God knows all. And then God bless Cameron Iverson. He stood up appalled and went, he was with us last night and busted the entire Sunday school class. Jamie still is angry at Cameron over that. That was the first time a lot of them had realized that they couldn't separate their soul. Because these were good kids. They couldn't separate their soul's work from their body's work. When we talk about the soul in this, we're talking about the same idea as when you're on an airplane and the captain comes over and says there's 143 souls aboard. It is the all of us. God wants all of us to work and be in love with God at all times. He wants us to know that he's at the center and everything that we do is part of it. And that we should reflect our love of God in all that we do because he reflects his love in us in all that he does. And then there's might. It's not just our physical strength. Might is a better translation of available resources. We should be using our available resources to serve and love God. At one time, that meant if you were a wealthy landowner, you had all of your squires and your servants go out and serve the Lord in the Lord's armies to capture whatever land and to ensure victories. Or you used all of your, your, your people to farm the land and to make sure that the temple was served and that the temple, the priests got their offerings. We don't have that nowadays. But that doesn't mean that we don't have resources. What resources do you have? Stewardship, we talk a lot about what do you have and how can we give and the joy of giving back to God. And that truly is what part of might is, is using the resources we have, including our financial resources. Eric and I are thrilled that we are at a point where we can tithe our gross and we use those resources and we give them back to God. And in my stewardship sermon, I'll talk to you about how our finances are getting better since we started that. It makes no sense to us, but it is true. Since we started tithing, it has become easier economically in our home, not harder. But it's also talking about what resources that you have that you can command. Eric is um, in a union shop has always been in a union shop. I absolutely love unions. I truly, truly do. But his union voted for a contract where his entire shop gets the amazingly generous um, lunch time of 20 minutes. Everybody in his shop that's union gets 20 minutes for lunch. And he came home and he was talking about what they talk about at lunch. And lately, it's been religion. Eric's boss is a born-again 
Christian, extremely fundamental. They've started their own house church because they couldn't find a church that they agreed with their theology. They're that fundamental. Eric, obviously, is the pastor of a spouse. They've got a couple of guys at work that are newbie Christians, just dipping their toe in the, the spiritual water and trying to figure out things. Well, what happened is these two guys would start asking Eric and Rick questions. And then the other guys in the lunchroom would sit back and watch Eric and Rick argue about who, you know, where they were in their, their faith walk. And then slowly, people started joining in the conversation. Nobody walked in that room to evangelize. Nobody said, we're going to have a discussion on 1 Corinthians today. It was a conversation. And now the conversation seems to happen at least weekly where people come in with faith questions and they just drop it. Like, this is our discussion time here. This is a safe place. We're just going to drop this conversation and we're going to talk about it for our generous 20 minutes. And then Eric said it's gone to the part where now people will actually come up in the hall and continue the discussion if they haven't gotten to the part where they feel like it's been closed. That is a way to use your resources. Instead of having these guys say, oh, I cannot talk about religion at work. Nope, only on Sunday mornings. They actually asked questions and said, what do you think about this? And they found two people that were willing to talk. And now more people are willing to talk because they found out if it's a safe place to not only talk about your faith, but ask questions. And I will give his company praise because nobody in the company has come in and said that is not appropriate. And you know some companies might do that. But this is using your resources. It doesn't have to be monetary you don't have to have an army. You don't have to own a farm where you're bringing big things. It can be being willing to stand up and actually talk about your faith. Using your resources also can be using your position in your neighborhood or your family. Adam Hamilton quotes in his book that we are always just one generation from extinction. If we do not pass on our faith, we are one generation from extinction. And the greatest resource that we have are our grandparents, our great aunts, our great uncles, and those that are seen as people other than parents in family systems. If you are one of these people, Know that the youth will listen to you when they might not listen to their own, people, their own parents. You have all been a child. You've all been teenagers. You all know that your mom and dad are always telling you what to do and what not to do and how to do it. And if you were at all like me, you rebelled against everything just for the pure joy of rebelling against it. What they have found in research is that most children do not automatically rebel against older adults in their family. Their 
grandparents, great aunts, great uncles, anything that's at least a generation away from their own parents. What they do do is listen to them. They will listen to them about faith. They will listen to them about life decisions. You now, if you are once removed from a parent, and that includes aunts and uncles that are not elder, if you are once removed from a parent, are in a unique opportunity in a unique place that you have a resource to affect change in somebody in your family's life. You can literally be somebody that a child will listen to and think about faith from where their parent that might have said literally the exact same sentence, they will block out. But from you, they might actually take it and let it germinate inside. For me, my grandfather told me all the time, God's got a plan for you. God's got a plan for you. He continued to tell me that even when I became a 12-year-old atheist. He would say, God's got a plan for you. God's got a plan for you. And one of the saddest moments in my life is when I was ordained and I didn't have my grandfather there. Though I truly believe that he was up in heaven, high-fiving God, going, I knew it all along. He was there. But he was the one that I listened to. I never, when he was alive, I never told him to his face that I listened to him. And that's part of the might that you guys are going to have to have. That's part of the strength of making sure that our next generation gets the message. You might never know that they're listening to you. You might constantly be talking to them about your faith and God and what's opening for them, and they might have a plan, and you might never get the chance to hear, yes, I heard it all those years. But I'm telling you, their ears are open. Their ears are open. Use your resources. Use every resource you have to make sure they get the message that God loves them because you love them. And God made them because God loves them. And God put them in the family they're in because God brought them into your life for a reason. And because of that, you know that God loves them because you couldn't love them anymore if you tried. Use the resources of your love and your faith and your age and your part of the family or your part of the neighborhood or your part of a club wherever you're at use that resource to bring someone to faith through the love of God as shown by you show your heart show your body show your might Right now, I'm going to show you a video of two girls, Hannah and Miriam, that show this and use their resources every week for the children here at Christ. <laughs> 